Good day, let's run, Jonathan, Robert. Everybody wants to run faster, right? I thought I'd heard of it all until I heard of this new product. It's the Airwave Performance Mouthpiece. It's a relatively new training tool. It launched last year after 16 years of research. You guys aren't going to believe what this is when you hear about it. But it's a performance mouthpiece that fits along your bottom teeth, pushes your jaw just forward to create the optimal airway opening. You guys are probably a bit skeptical, but they claim this is increased endurance. by It reduces your respiratory rate by 20%, which means less lactic acid production, increased strength, and faster recovery times because it reduces cortisol buildup by up to 50%. If And Let's Run.com readers, podcast listeners can save 10% if they want to try out the Airwave device. Go to Airwave, that's A. I-R-W-A-A-V.com. Put in the code LR10 to save 10% off. Yep, soon you guys might all be wearing performance mouthpieces while running. Check this out. Robert, John, well, actually, John, I'm not sure if they're sending you one. They're sending one to me and Robert. Probably should reverse that and have them send it to John. I think Robert needs it more than I do. I do. I need everything I can get. I'm excited. I've always said relaxed is fast. And what do we say? I always say the faster spinners, their jaws are so relaxed. If you relax the top of your body, it spreads to the bottom. Makes sense to me. Yeah, there's all this stuff also with like, isn't that like Tiger Woods chews gum? There's something with cortisol or something like that. But subjects with this thing found an 8% increase in the diameter of the throat, 9% increase in the width, and a 51% reduction in cortisol after one hour. So check it out. Airwave, W-A-A-V.com. Use code LR10. John, let's get this show started. got a great episode for you guys this week welcome to the show the let's run.com track talk podcast it's been a busy week in the world of running after almost three years elite track and field has returned to eugene with the opening of the new haywood field not one but two women's world records went down on the roads over the weekend an australian woman has broken the magical four flat barrier in the 1500 meters the United States top high school girls runner has committed to Brigham Young. She'll be going there in 2022. And Magic Johnson, surprise closet, quote unquote, big track and field fan, Magic Johnson, might be going to the Olympic trials, even if nobody else is. Well, well done, Rick Johnson, Robert Johnson, my superiors, my bosses, the co-founders of Let's Run.com. Welcome to the show. Glad to be here, John. As always, and I'm excited that the new Hayward Field is finally here. Let me repeat after that, Oregon SIDs, new Hayward Field, new Hayward Field, new Hayward Field. We'll get to, when we get to the Hayward meet later in the show, we'll explain why I just repeated that, but it felt good to say that, John, over and over. I was excited about that Hayward Field. In fact, I made a new t-shirt. Check it out at shop.letsrun.com, inspired by Cole Hawker and the Oregon Ducks. Podcast listeners. You can still get it at 50% off. Enter the code podcast at checkout through Friday. 
under the code podcast at checkout through Friday. But John, let's get into the action right away. I think I don't know if it was on this podcast or the bonus podcast for the VIP subscribers on Friday, the Friday 15. But I emphatically stated that the women's half marathon world record would go down. You, of course, in your stupidity said it would not. And I've been vindicated. It was a victory lap. I didn't even bother to get up at 3 a.m. to listen to watch the race and apparently the riveting broadcast. But how do you feel about yourself, John? Oh, great. Another women's world, another world record has gone down on the roads. I'm so excited. I just can barely contain myself. I mean, are we just, is this exciting to anyone anymore that we just see every week there's a new world record? Or am I alone here? Yeah, John, it didn't move the needle for me. I expected it to go. When you expect a world record to go, like, is it that impressive? And I'm sure there's some people, like, we're just going to be soon, like, just like the Boomers podcast or every world record we sort of poo-poo on and people are like, hey, this is progress. It's good. But these women, first of all, they're attacking the roads. They're really going after competing at the half marathon distance more than they did in the past. But now they've got these super shoes. And women's running's at a whole other level sort of with the influx of African runners. Really, It's only really been the last decade, maybe 15 years. But you're seeing the amount of talent that you had on the men's side. I mean, you're catching up. And then with new technology, it's like I expected this to go. I'm not sure I expected Ruth Chevin Gittich to get the record, even though she's super credentialed, world marathon champion. But Yeah, I was surprised it was Chevin Gittich who got it. She broke the world record. She crushed the old world record, in fact. It was 64.31, and she ran 64.02. Um to break that record. And Chepin Gedich, I mean, she, we know she's good. She's run 217 in the marathon. She is the world champion in the marathon. But her Puff Marathon PB before today was 65.06 from Delhi in November. And you look at the other women in the start list, I thought maybe Yalimzerf Yahuwalor, who, who won that race in Delhi... Uh, in 64.46, I thought she probably had a better chance of getting it. And we also thought Perez Jepchirche, who is the half marathon world champion, would be in this race. Apparently she was not because she, you know, she didn't show up in the top 10 results. Bridget Cosguy, even the world marathon record holder, I thought she had a better chance to break this record. So I was kind of surprised. And I'm excited. Like, look, I'm not super, super excited about these world records anymore just because they've been, I mean, you look at the historic times, just, Pretty much all the fastest half marathons times in history have come in the last 14 months. On the women's side, it's the top five, I believe. Yeah, the five fastest women's half marathons in history have all come in the last 14 months. And the men's side, it's five of the top six. But I do give credit Istanbul. They assembled a ridiculous field. I mean, you got Chepengedic. You got Helen O'Beary made her debut. She finished third in 64.51, which is the fastest debut ever. So... And then Yuhulor was the silver medalist here in 64.40, which is a super fast time as well. So I think it's it's interesting from a race perspective that we got all these talented women together and Chep and Gennett just crushed them. But the times, you know, you just, we know they're in a different stratosphere now and you can't really become as attached to them as in years past. Another thing on the women's races that's a little bit, makes a world record a little bit less, exciting is you have the women's only world record then you have the next gender world record and etc so this was the outright world record right this they had a co they had a start with both the men and the women 
So they fall even more often, you know, on the women's side. But I don't know. I mean, we're getting, you know, we're near the 64-minute barrier, which I guess when the world record in the marathon is 214, it's not that surprising. But when I look at the women's results, I don't know. To me, the biggest thing was in terms of Tokyo, was Helen O'Berry third at 64.51. I mean, she's won, what, the last two world titles in the 5,000, 2017, 2019. 2019, I don't want to put an asterisk next to it, but it wasn't as stacked of a field. Remember, she got fifth in the 10,000 and then wasn't even going to run the 5,000, decides to do it and wins it, but was not that deep of a field, let's be honest. Cost tens, cost her half, and I mean, she's not a bad runner, but she's no Shelby Houlihan in my mind, and she's got a world's medal. She got the bronze in that race, so it was a little bit watered down, but when I see this result for O'Berry, I think, okay, this is big. You know, this is a very strong result for her. Maybe the ten wasn't her best event, but she's she's her endurance is getting better. Puts her definitely, and she already was a medal threat in the ten, but the ten and the five, she can do both. It's going to be tough if any American or Western athlete is dreaming of a medal because you're going to have Gaudet, you're going to have O'Berry. That's those are two people right there, and then whatever Hassan decides to do. Good luck. Yeah, Robert, it makes me think, Hassan, I think after her world, double world titles in 2019, she ran a half marathon and ran 65-15. And, you know, maybe she she probably wasn't as locked in on that one race as Oberia was for this one, but still, 64-51, that's, that's rolling. And she's, I believe Oberia has said she wants to do the 10K, 5K double in Tokyo. So that certainly gets me excited. She's fit. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think it's it's obviously a really impressive run. I mean, Chep and Gedich, does it worry you at all? Like Bridget Kosguy, she's been totally invincible in the marathon the last few years. We saw in London, you know, Chep and Gedich tried to hang with her back in October and just totally cratered, ended up getting out kicked by Sarah Hall. Bridget Kosguy won that race going away. In this race, Chep and Gedich beat Bridget Kosguy by almost two minutes. I mean, Kosguy ran 66.01, which a couple of years ago would be like, wow, that's a good tune-up, but that's not a bad result. But now she's barely within two minutes. I mean, does this change who you think of as sort of the Olympic favorite in the marathon this year? I mean, Coast Guy's really good, John, but Chapman Gittich has done it in the heat. So, and she's, I don't know, she's what, three minutes behind on paper? But put her in Chicago-like conditions, she's definitely one of the major contenders. So... Someone who's run 214, I think you have to give the nod, but someone who's done well in extreme heat and has run 104 for the half marathon, it's kind of 1A and 1B in my book. 66 minutes, John, doesn't scare me. She's not in shape. I mean, let's, let's be honest. I mean, I was trying to figure out when the last time she ran 66 minutes in the half for Bridget Coastguy. She ran 66, 49 in 2018, February 9th at the RAK half. And then, you know, she ran London that year. Now, she didn't win it, but she goes second, you know, to 2013. So it's not an amazing result, but she's basically significantly ahead of where she was in 2018 when she got second to London, and she's got more time for the Olympics. So I think it's fine. So she's, she's fit, she's training, and, you know, between now and the Olympics, you know, this just kind of depends on how the training goes between now and then. Um, moving to the men's race, John, we got the matchup that had never had happened before. The Last two, the current world record holder, Kibbeau Candier, and the former world record holder of the half marathon distance race at the 13.1 distance for the first time, Jeffrey Camwar. And Candy wins 59.35, Camwar 
five guys broke 60 minutes in this one. And I was very happy, you know, when the world records were 57, 30 something, obviously the time wasn't super fast, but what we're seeing, but I was going to say, you know, we don't know the conditions like, well, the conditions were obviously well enough for the, for the women to set the world record. But to me, this was an encouraging sign for, for Cam Roar. I was a little bit worried with him. He's had the, 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 car accident he had dropped out of the kenyan cross-country trials and i'm still not I don't, we may have already seen pete cam War, but to me this is a good sign he, he's definitely still going to be a factor in the marathon in the half marathon you know he's still a relatively young guy so i didn't expect him to win i was afraid that he would do significantly worse than this so i, I was pleased to see him finish second yeah, I, th- I think that's the exact takeaway I had as well, Robert. It is kind of curious. They, I mean, Candier and Camero, there was a breakaway early in the race. Bernard Nagano, you know, got a gap early and no one else kind of went with him, which is curious because you would think, I mean, Candier does nothing but run fast. And as you said, we saw that conditions were good enough for the women to break the world record and run some of the fastest times ever. So it is a little curious that they didn't run faster, but I don't mind. Like, if it's a, Racing, you know, it's racing, and Candier Can- got the win, but like you said, Camaro was only three seconds back, and I thought it could be a lot worse. So, yeah, that to me is a great sign. Camaro is trending in the right direction, and, you know, he's been talking, or his agency's been talking, that his bigger goals are yet to come. That would be the Tokyo 10,000. You know, I'm still not sure he's really capable of doing anything in that race, just because the competition is so good, but... I do think it bodes well for Camor, you know, in the half marathon and the marathon trying to regain his world cross title next year. I mean, it does certainly seem like this is a good sign for Jeffrey Camor. Was this his first race that he finished since 2019? He ran something, he ran, right? He ran the Kenyan uh, police championships in cross country in January and won that fairly comfortable, which is kind of, which is why it was confusing that he dropped out of the Kenyan national championships about halfway through. Yeah. Cause it just pulled up world athletics database and that one wasn't in there. And I'm like, wait, he's raced before then, but this was a huge step in the right direction for him because he's been injured, you know, pulling out of stuff, didn't race last year, got in the accident, but he's, this showed, he possibly he's still one of the best runners in the world and like you said John it's really interesting because everyone he hasn't really done it on the track so Tokyo if he could get that right it just changes your legacy you you get a gold medal on the track or marathon anyway you get an Olympic gold medal that's what you need I mean that's what we talk about sure you can do other things to make a legacy but it really changes your legacy if he can come out somehow on top in Tokyo but there's a lot of guys I'm putting ahead of him on the track in Tokyo right now. Or not a lot. Yeah, I mean, but... could he, he might not even make – I mean, it's, I think he probably will make the Kenyan team. But look, if you got Candier, I think I'd, I think I'd take Candier over him. And I would take Ronex Kipruto over him in a 10K. That only leaves one spot. You've got Rogers Quemoy, who was fourth in 2019 and beat everyone at the Kenyan cross, National Cross Country Championships. I mean, it's it's not going to be easy for Jeffrey Camwar to make the Kenyan team, let alone, you know, get on that podium 
at in Tokyo. Now, granted, he, I will say he does have that one medal on the track. 2015, he was silver medalist in Beijing in the 10K behind Mo Farah. But since then, he hasn't really, you know, he's been more of a Rhodes cross-country specialist. Guys, I think Tokyo, There's a th- maybe this should be the thread of the week. Not sure if you guys saw this one. But with the woman's record getting close to 103-something, there's a thread titled Ruth Chepengedich versus Jim Walmsley. And the poster just says, who you got? Well, what distance? I feel like half marathon's the only distance where it would be... Well, I guess, I don't know. I don't know about 10K or whatever. I'm taking Jim in a full marathon and certainly anything beyond that. But I th- I still... I still it's hard for me not to think that Jim could just sort of sit and kick on Chep and get in a half marathon. And maybe that's just feel free to call me sexist, but I I'm well, taking Jim Walmsley. It's a joke. It's disrespectful to Jim Walmsley. Well, his half get marathon personal it. best is 64 flat and hers is 6402. Now granted last year, yeah. Jim ran, oh. you know, he ran 6214 on a short course, which is probably, I think it was about six worth sub 63. So, Again, that's why I'm going with Jim, but this is why the debate is, because his half-marathon PB is one second faster than hers. His half-marathon PB was run... He rarely, hardly ever runs the half-marathon, A. B, it wasn't run in Super Shoes. C, get back to me when she runs a 13.52-5,000 like he did in college. D, his marathon PR is a ton better than hers at 2.15.05 on a hilly Atlanta course, so... This is a, a joke. Right? I can't like people accuse me of, of, of you know promoting things just to get page views, which is not true. I, I promote things that I think are interesting, and sometimes I, I find debates, I find listening to the other side interesting. But to me, this almost sounds like the podcast version of clickbait by Weldon to bring this up. Okay, when you first see it, there is a little bit of clickbait, but I start reading the thread, and it's pretty interesting. One, Jim Walmsley's not in college anymore, Robert. That was, what, 10 years ago when he ran those times or eight years ago or something? And it just shows like how fast the women are running these days. And then the thread sort of evolves to at what distance does Jim Walmsley, can he beat anyone in the world, any female in the world? And you guys are already saying like, oh, I think he beats – it's weird because I think, oh, 10K for sure he beats him for whatever reason. But you think the longer distance would help him, and people go all the way back to the – someone says Semenya would beat him. And I'm like, oh, he's got Semenya for sure. And then someone's saying, oh, the 1500 he would lose. And this guy was nearly a sub-four-minute mile. So it becomes very hard. You almost need to be somewhat specialized to make sure that a professional men's runner who's very good, very popular in Let's Run, could beat some of these women. Like, you can't be that far off your game. But you're also, we're all, you're sort of assuming like Semenya, I, I think Semenya at a peak probably could beat him in a, in an 800 because you're th- talking about like, look, Jim Walmsley in college. Yes, Jim Walmsley in college, I think will beat Semenya. Jim Walmsley now training for like, you know, 100K races or for comrades or, you know, UTMB, all that sort of stuff. I don't think he's going to be able to rip off a 154, 800, you know, and same thing with like, when he ran those half marathon road times, like, okay, he ran his 62-14, which, you know, short course, but whatever it was, you know, 63 minutes, however, whatever you want to call it. He was preparing to run the Olympic marathon trials. He was training like a marathoner. And if you took, if you just pluck Jim Walmsley now or Jim Walmsley in the summer when he's training for Western States or UTMB and put him in a fast, flat half marathon, he's probably not in that same kind of shape. And I think it could be closer. I, I'd still give him the nod, but... 
it kind of depends. They're training for such drastically different events. That's why I do think it is a somewhat interesting debate to have. Yeah, so much sport is about debate. And the the post inside of the thread was by supporting club member John Wesley Harding. And the actual question was, is there any distance of 800 and up at Walmsley wouldn't beat the best woman in the world after four to five months of specific training. So, but you're right. I think without some specific training, there's a lot of distances he would actually get beat at. Even the marathon, right? Like, I mean, he needs to be in pretty good marathon shape to beat the top woman in the world. So that's where Harding said, he said, even with specific training, I think Walmsley in 2019 form would likely beat him at 800. That's it. Okay. Shall we move on to the other quote-unquote world record of the weekend, Beth Potter in the United Kingdom. She runs 14.41 at the Podium 5K in Barrowford, Lancashire. Now, this is not going to be ratified. There's a a whole bunch of caveats here. Uh, One, it's not the fastest women's time ever because that was actually a 5K split over 10K by Jocelyn Jepkoskai back in 2017 before the 5K was an official world record distance on the road. Second, apparently there wasn't proper... this race sean ingle of the guardian has the details but this race wasn't certified properly or you know didn't have proper drug testing that sort of thing uh i think that's one of the, so it's not going to be ratified as a world record but she did run 1441 45k which is faster than the current world record official world record 1443 and it's crazy because beth potter look i think i had seen her name but had before I wouldn't have probably been able to tell you a week ago exactly who Beth Potter is. Can either of you guys tell me who Beth Potter is, or did you know her before this race? Never heard of her. Definitely hadn't heard of her. I, I don't even know what I thought when I saw this. I was just like, I thought the course was short. You're saying the course was the right distance, I, John? Yeah, it's 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 marketed as like a very fast course, I think. But I believe that actually was my first thought. I was like, oh, this course is probably short. But the details, here's why it's so crazy. Not only, like, most people hadn't heard of Beth Potter a, a, a week ago. She was a decent runner. She was a 2016 Olympian for Great Britain. You know, she'd competed for them at the 2017 Worlds, the 2018 Commonwealth Games. But her previous PB, for she'd run 32.03 for 10,000, which is probably her best mark. Her previous PB was 15.24, which was also on the roads at this same race last year. And then she goes and runs 14.41. The craziest thing about this is she's not a full-time runner. She trains. She's a triathlete. She ran a triathlon a week before she ran this 5K. And that's the event she's been focusing on for the last few years. And there was a recent interview with her that says she doesn't do more than four running sessions a week. Now, obviously, she's got a crap load of cross-training in there because she's a triathlete. But there was this all sort of furor, oh, it must be the super shoes. Oh, how the hell did she do this? I mean, it's just been a total, if you look at like British journalists' Twitter feeds the last week, it's just been nonstop about Beth Potter and slagging off and all this. It's just insane. I mean, it's just a crazy story because she's going into the race. She talked about maybe wanting to be in like a 1530 group, if I'm not mistaken. She runs 1440. But with the super shoes, it's just so different. I mean, this is great. probably the best thing to happen to ASICs. The, the, too bad there wasn't drug testing. They should have flown someone out there because Margaret getting the angle. This would have been amazing. And Asics, I think their shoe came out last week as well. But it's sort of back to what we're just talking about, Chap and Gaddis. It's just kind of like, oh, the shoes. I, do I think Beth Potter all of a sudden became this fabulous runner? Probably not. But the other thing also is it shows how little the women's 5Ks run on the roads. 
1440 in the era of super shoes really isn't that good of a time. Oh, come on. It's a pretty damn good time. Uh, maybe with super shoes, they could run 1440 in the roads. So For a Brit, it's pretty impressive, though. Not, not to take away from what Beth did, it's still sort of like the kind of rags to riches story, and she's going to think more about running now, because if she trains more, would she actually do better, or has she found the right balance for her? Look, come on. It's not a good time. Of course it's a good time. It's the fastest damn time that's ever been run in the history of the world by a woman in a 5K. Not that many women run road 5Ks. Yes, I mean, the world record itself, but it's a good time. I think it's a cool story on a number of, store, on a number of levels. You know, one, A, A6, they're super speed, super speed. Uh, flat. The meta speed is out. Sarah Hall loves it. It's the week the shoe comes out and this woman does it. So it's good to see the other shoe companies catching up and to think that other people can run fast in their super shoes. B, yes, I guess Walden is not that fast. I disagree. It's fast, but no, it doesn't make her a metal contender. So I think she's smart to stick to the triathlon. If you can run that fast in the triathlon, if you can just stick near the people, you know, you're not allowed to draft. But, um, no, you can draft in the Olympic triathlon. So if she can just stick near them and then get to the running, she's going to be hard to beat. So she, I don't think she's a medal contender at all. She has zero medal chance in the in the track and field, but in the running, you know, maybe. Um, but the the real question I have about this, John, is you said the British journalists are going off on this. John, do you consider yourself to be a British journalist or an American journalist? When you wake up every day, I am one of the people in this country that still wakes up every day and I think, Thank God I'm an American. I'm proud to be an American. And I think this is the greatest country on earth. So many other people are apologizing, feeling pathetic about themselves. But when you wake up, John, what do you think? Or are you sort of like Nikki Hilt? Someday you're an American. Someday you're British. I'm a proud dual citizen. I mean, my dad's British. My mom's American. I've always been a child of two cultures. And I embrace that identity. I mean, I work for a U.S. publication. I primarily cover U.S. running, so I more identify with that professionally. But, you know, I obviously I, I have strong ties to England, you know, Britain, England specifically. But one thing, so I want to talk to a pushback on a couple of things you mentioned here, Robert. One, so you mentioned like the triathlon, maybe that's a better bet. I think she had that thinking too. In 2016, you know, she got second to last in the Olympic 10K. And her same thought was like, well, I'm never going to medal in this. You know, I, I need to switch to triathlon. And you look, Great Britain, I mean, they had the Olympic champion in the, in the triathlon in 2016 on the men's side. So she was thinking exactly what you were thinking. The problem is Great Britain has already selected its Olympic, mar- Olympic triathlon team, and she didn't make it. So at this point, I think the logical choice, she is not sort of committed to her, her future here. The logical choice is you run the 10,000 at the British trials or the 5,000 and you try to make the British team because making an Olympic team as a track athlete, I know she's already made one, but to me, that would be the bigger, you know, more logical goal than just, you know, continuing to do the triathlon, but you're missing out on the biggest event in the sport. Correct. Now, John, do you want to fast about the text that you sent me right when you saw this result or should i expose you to the world i don't totally remember it but uh you know i i guess saturday morning i guess saturday afternoon at night at 318 was this race at night or something or just take us a while to find it john sent me a text athletics weekly um tweet about this race and john put a comment underneath and it said sport is a joke so john is officially called our sport of track and field a joke he has i don't mean should we suspend him well then this is his job he's supposed to be promoting this sport fan of the sport now that the podcast listeners know that he doesn't even enjoy the sport he's burned out 
No, it's just that the, 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 what I meant by that, again, I didn't think it would be outed on the Let's Run podcast when I sent a text to you, but I guess I forgot you're my boss and everything's fair game, so, or apparently. Anyway, what I'm saying, though, is, like, it's the same thing with Jim Chapman Gedditch. Like, am I supposed to get excited about these times anymore? I'm really not. Like, I think the Beth Potter thing is a great story, but, like, you know, what, 1441, what does that even, like, what does that mean if someone who's not a full-time runner can now run it? I think... You know, and that's sort of the debate that people have been having on social media because there are people who followed the sport for years, and we, you know, world records did mean something. Uh, they meant something. They always mean something. But I think people are having to reassess what exactly a world record means. And obviously, like this five k world record, that's not the perfect example because this thing wasn't. People don't really run this distance very much. It even hasn't even been an official world record for a couple of years, but. It's it's proving hard because there'll be journalists or Tim Hutchings, uh, particularly. He's this is sort of one of the hills he's taken up on Twitter. Is they'll see these times and they're just like, we need. There's no way to contextualize these times or compare them to what's come before, uh, because the super shoes. And then the athletes fight back and say, well, you're just ignoring all the hard training I've been doing and all the work I've been putting in. And I think th- I don't think that's their intent, but when you see times like this and when you see someone who's not a full-time runner and who was, when she was a full-time runner was okay, but certainly not the very best in the world, just blasting a world record out of nowhere. Yeah. People are like, well, how am I supposed to interpret this? And I think that's a problem the sport is reckoning with right now. Yeah. And that asterisk next to that Galen Rutt bronze medal at the 2016 Olympics is getting bigger and bigger. And bigger. I don't <laughs> I understand. I was waiting for that. It's been like two podcasts since Robert mentioned that. So I uh, thank God he's come back and called for this. <laughs> and also, this is a black stain on, on the, on the career resume of Shalene Flanagan and, De- and uh, Amy Craig. How in the hell did they not medal? In the 2016 Olympics. I guess there might have been some other Nike athletes that have the super shoes. Well, the, well, the top but... two women from that race have since been busted for doping. So that's one of the reasons why. Well, super shoes is probably on par with EPO compared to, to old eras. Okay. I briefly mentioned Nikki Hiltz a few minutes ago. I wanted to bring that up. We didn't have that in the show intro. But to international viewers who don't know who Nikki Hiltz is, she was a pretty good college runner at the University of Arkansas. She made the U.S. 2019 World Championship team at 1,500 meters. Um, and she was known already um, in some circles as she had come out as, you know, there aren't that many um, lesbian runners. She'd come out and gotten – it's kind of a cool story because some people view Arkansas as not the most supportive of places. She got a lot of support when she came out as a lesbian a few years ago. And last week she has come out as transgender, and it's kind of an interesting case in the sense of she says she's non-binary. John, you have the quote in front of you of exactly what she says. Can, can you read that to everybody? Yeah, so she said, the best way I can explain my gender is as fluid. Sometimes I wake up feeling like a powerful queen, and other days I wake up feeling as if I'm just a guy being a dude. And other times I identify outside of the gender binary entirely. It's complicated and complex and something I'm still trying to navigate myself. So it's a, it's a great statement, you know, in, in the sense of, you know, imagine that. I've always said this. We've got to have great personal sympathy for all these people, whether it's a transgender athlete, whether it's an intersex athlete, Caster Semenya. I mean, can you imagine how difficult it would be to be born without male genitalia? I would assume I was a woman. You're raised your whole life as a woman, and then you're told at 18 in front of the world that you actually don't have any of the female reproductive parts. You have internal testicles and stuff like that. I've always said I've got great personal sympathy for Caster Semenya. So if she wants to identify as a woman, 
all the more power to her. And the same thing with the transgender athletes, you know, and, and people like to be a young person. Some people apparently at four or five years of age or say, I'm not a boy, I'm a girl. I'm not a girl, I'm a boy. That would be incredibly difficult. So I remember we're talking about real people here. That part of it for them personally is complicated. But from a sporting standpoint, this actually to me is proof positive. It's not complicated at all. We have to let people identify however they want. But how you identify what gen gender is not the reason why we have different classifications in sports. We originally had one sport, and then we realized, hey, only men are dominating the sport. You know, so we had a uh, we had a, a special classification for people. It's not based on how they identify. It's based on their gender. I mean, excuse me. It's based on their sex, their biological sex. So if this doesn't prove to me to everyone the obviousness of we have to let sex determine what sport, you know, what classification you're in, then nothing else will. Because John, what else are we going to do? Are we going to get to the to, to the you know to the Olympic trials? And ask everyone, including Nikki Hiltz, hey, how do you feel today? Do you feel like a man? Oh, okay. You feel like a man? We're going to move you over to the, you know, well, you're going to race at uh, 415 in the men's 1500. Oh, wait, you don't have the qualifying time, so you can't do it. But I guess if the sexes were reversed, we could say, um, okay, Sidgwitz, how do you feel today, the men's 1500? Oh, I feel like a woman. I feel like a powerful queen today. Okay, Matthew, we're going to run you in the women's 1500 against Shelby at 5.30. That clearly wouldn't work. This is the proof positive to it. Have personal sympathy for these people. Let them identify however they want to have. But in sports, to me, this is game over for, in support of, of my argument that I've been making for the last several years. You know, Robert, as usual, you just like to oversimplify these things when there is a degree of nuance required. Like, I don't know of anyone who at the highest level of international sport is arguing that people should just be able to compete as the gender they, they identify without undergoing hormone treatment. I don't know of anyone pushing that position. I think at the lower levels in high school, yes, we have seen it. And it has happened in Connecticut. But in the Olympics, no one's going to come up and say, oh, I feel like a woman... No elite man's going to say, oh, I feel like a woman today. I'm going to compete in the women's category just on a whim. I don't I don't see that happening. But And I don't think anyone's going to say that they need, they're allowed to compete as a... You know, a, a male to female transgender can compete in the female category without undergoing hormone therapy. I haven't seen that as an issue. John, have you read the Quality Act? The man that you voted for, President Biden, this is one of his big agendas, is the Equality Act. And there's no there's no talk about hormone treatment in there. So th there's a reason why people like Sonia Richards-Roth and stuff like that are trying to get an exception put in there for elite sport, because otherwise it would be illegal to require this stuff. But so. like that, that the world that world athletics and the IOC have their own transgender policies. Just because the United States has some policy, that's not going to override world athletics policy for international running. D d damn wrong! You're damn wrong about that. I, I no one's talked about this. I assume if these laws, if it's viewed as a human right in America, I'm wondering what would happen to the 2028 Olympics because I'm assuming that these congressmen can come to their senses and change this stuff. But if if I was the IOC, this is a whole, this is this is a this is a what's it, the hill I would be willing to die on, you know? I, I, could the 2028 Olympics be pulled from the United States of America if this insanity goes through? Uh, maybe I need to read the rule, the law. But uh, people aren't really thinking in elite sport it's going to be this way, Robert. I don't think. Or doesn't the law say you can't discriminate based on 
gender fine we're doing on sex we'll just do it off of sex and then i thought john was gonna go some people say oh it's more nuanced there's people who are like xxy but are really female or maybe i'm getting it backwards you know there's these total edge cases but the big picture is i think in in most you hear you talk to people very liberal very conservative People say privately, I think probably the vast majority of people think it elite sport. They, everyone knows kind of how it should be, right? That there needs to be some restrictions. Otherwise, these tra- transgender women would have a huge advantage. But, and in Nikki cases, Robert said, oh, you're going to ask Nikki how she feels? That's not even an issue because Nikki's not going to choose to compete in the men's category. Or if she does, she's no longer an elite athlete immediately, overnight. So I, I – I didn't see anything from Nikki saying, oh, I, I might compete in the men's division because she'd be non-competitive. So she wants to keep her sponsorship. I mean, I guess she could just be like an ambassador for people living their authentic life. But I agree. It shows the huge difference between gender and what, without a better term, I will call sex. And for elite sport, it's going to be on, based on sex. And if there was a rule that said, United States, you can't discriminate on sex, they probably would pull the Olympics or have to do something. But that's not going right, to happen. Shall we, shall we wrap this up and move on? We do have other stuff to talk about, including the grand opening of the new Haywood Field. Cole Hawker, double victories. Robert, shall we move on to the Haywood premiere? Yeah, this is the main thing I wanted to talk about this week. And the key thing there, John, is you said it right. The new Haywood Field is here. And the reason why I repeated the new Haywood Field repeatedly at the beginning of this podcast is because John has been received a notification from the University of Oregon that they don't want us to call it the, the, the new Hayward Field. That is against their rules. And so I'm going to call it the new Hayward Field. The language police, no, 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 no. Nike, you don't tell me what to do. Oregon, you don't tell me what to do. So they want us to refer to it as the, you can refer to the old Hayward Field as historic Hayward Field, but you're supposed to refer to the new field. What, John, please inform the viewers what they what, what the university of oregon has told you yeah they, i mean they didn't reach out to me directly this is just in their press materials for all media but they prefer that we refer to the stadium that they have just reconstructed as haywood field at the university of oregon on first reference and then haywood field moving on and they prefer not to use the term new haywood field at all john can you forward me that email but also is robert I don't know. You're not allowed to like misgender somebody. And Robert just totally disrespected Hayward Field. Is is he stepping into it? A building obviously isn't the same thing as a person. That's a little bit lighthearted, but we we the big picture is we had track and field at whatever you want to call Hayward Field this weekend, and the image is out. They did this video montage, which we'll link to in the show notes. It was absolutely incredible. There weren't any fans at the meet, except for some select parents and media, but it's good to see track back at this meet, no matter what, right? Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, the the video that they put out on YouTube was unreal. So well done. I mean, the facility is amazing. Like, you know, they don't have an indoor – what people don't realize is they don't have an indoor track at the University of Oregon. So when it's raining all winter there and it rains all the time in in Eugene – there's no indoor track, but what they've done is they've like put a running surface on the, like the, on the level where you get your hot dogs and stuff behind the stadium. So people can run there and then under, underneath the stadium, the jumpers can do the pole vault and long jump and throw the weight throw and shot put and stuff like that. So 
Really cool video if you haven't seen it. So it's cool that the stadium is here. We've waited a long time for it. It looks magnificent. Um, but for me, I was all about one thing this weekend. I wanted to see Cole Hawker. I was excited about the stadium. I made a shirt in honor of Cole Hawker again. If you haven't got it, stop at letsrun.com into the code podcast at checkout. You'll get it at 50% off. I wanted the matchup between Tier and Hawker. Unfortunately, John, we didn't get it. No, it was it was weird. Like they went both entered in the fifteen hundred initially, and then there was late scratch and Tia moved to the ten K where he was the 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 rabbit for that race. And then they ended up running separate sections of the eight hundred the next day. Now, look, you I don't really want to call this dodging because they they did race each other indoors in that mile in Arkansas. They raced each other in the three K, they raced each other and NCAA indoors in the 3K. They race each other playing. Now, would I like to see them race each other again? Sure, absolutely. But, like, why were they in separate sections of the 800? Well, I think it's because Cooper is primarily, I think he's more of a 3K, 5K type. I know he's the NCAA record holder in the mile. I still think that's, that's probably his best, his sweet spot is the 3K, 5K. Whereas Cole Hawker has some ridiculous speed, and this was played out by the results. Because Kupatia gets second in the B-Heat of the 800, 148.99. It's behind Talon Franco of BYU. And in the, in the A-Heat of the 800, this, I mean, if you're a Cole Hawker fan, you should be going crazy about this result. He runs 146.60. He takes down Festus Legat. Now, if you guys don't remember, Festus Legat of Iowa State, he's run 145.05. He was the third placer behind Bryce Hopple and Devin Dixon at NCAA Outdoors in 2019. And Hawker in this race, he's in fourth, boxed in, coming off the final turn, and he just stays patient and then uses this inside move. He passes on the inside, uh, down the home straight, and blows these guys away. And these are 800 specialists. So that, for a guy who's also the NCAA champion in the 3K, super impressive stuff for me, uh, for Cole Hawker to win that race, 146.60. Top time in the NCAA right now. Well... First of all, I think what you said is, is slightly inaccurate. Festus Legat is not an 800 specialist. He just got 53rd at the NCAA cross country. He is an 800 an specialist, Robert. He's a 145.05 guy. He ran this event in NCAA. He was third in this event in 2019. He's an 800 specialist who happens to be able to run cross country. When you use the term 800 specialist, you don't refer to someone who's getting 53rd at NCAA cross country. He's more, but yes, he's good at the 800. I would say the more accurate thing is he has been training for cross country until very recently, and that's maybe why he doesn't have the speed. But he's an 800 specialist. So uh, I don't know. This race, I don't wasn't that shocked by it. There's a message board thread. Maybe this should be our thread of the week. Cole Hawker overblown question mark. That's kind of more in that category. The guys run 350 for the mile. Am I shocked he can run a 146 when it opens up the C parts in front of him? It's kind of what I expect. The fact he beat a 145 guy, fine. But that guy just ran cross country, wasn't it? He didn't run indoors, right? So he's maybe not in top 800 shape. But I'm not shocked that a 350 miler can run a 146 800. It just shows like the kids, everything is going well. But I wasn't like, oh my gosh, he ran a 142 or something. I agree with you, Weldon. You know, let's take a step back, big picture. I was excited to watch this 1500. I wanted to see what he could do. I texted my buddies. I texted my college roommate, 339 guy. I texted Chris Lear, author of Running with the Bubble. I said, hey, this race is going off in 10 minutes because they're busy with their kids and their families if you want to watch it. 
And then he runs 338.99 and 1500. And I was like, huh, I wanted to see something faster. Now, I know he led the whole thing wire to wire, basically. But my 339 roommate, Scott Anderson, was incredibly impressed. He's like, that kid can just, I've never seen someone just so comfortable running from the front. He was very impressed by it. I was like a nonplussed by it. Wasn't saying it was a bad race. To be honest, if I was him, I would either A, try to run faster, or B, worked on, I th- when the race went off, like the rabbiting was like kind of slow the first lap. It was like 60 or something like that. He was kind of in the pack. I thought, oh, he's just tr- going to practice running in the pack. But then he ended up leading most of it right behind the rabbit. So I would have, A, either not worried about time at all and run in the pack, you know, kind of like the Donovan Brazier thing, just to get used to that again. Um, but then it might be better to not even have a rabbit at all. Because Again, that's going to be a big thing at the trials. So it was fine, but I, I, I probably would have, you know, when it, the time didn't, 338.99 is not that impressive. That's the problem when you have most of the time a rabbit race. But I will say in both this race and the 800, his last 50 is incredible. Like he's really making a lot of ground on people. And just really, you know, it wasn't nearly as impressive as the NCAAs when he's in the 53 last lap. But, you know, he doesn't need to be going all out in every race. And you, you see that like how much gap he's putting on in the last 10 meters on people. So that to me, the last 50 of both races was super, super impressive. So, you know, I think it's good that he's run 146. Um, yes, it's not amazing, Weldon, but it's kind of like going into NCAs. I like to see it because I said about the uh, Washington kid and I said about Hawker, these guys don't have fast 800 meter PRs. They're like 148. That's not fast enough, you know? So now I see 146. He's beating a 145 guy. Clearly he can run in the 145s, you know? So this is a, is a, is a, is a nice result for Hawker. Moving on to tier. Um, has anyone lost more money than him in the last month in the track and field? Oh, please. Here we go again. Lost no, more I, money. I, I, he I'm just serious. got second at NCAs in the 3K. He's run a 350 mile. He's going to be a, he's a senior, right? He's graduating. He's not a senior, right, John? He's a junior. I believe he has more eligibility, yeah. Well, actually, this year doesn't matter anyway, so he could be here like four more years now. I mean, half joke, but if he's a junior, he gets this year back automatically, and he's got another year, so he's three more years of college, if you count this one as a full year. <laughs> this guy, Cooper Tier, should have gone pro the moment he ran, from a money standpoint, the, ran, the moment he ran that 350 mile. Never run again and go pro, and you're talking multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars per year, most likely. And now... I don't know. I said that I would find out on, on this podcast. I think I said on the podcast last week, I said, I'll find out this week who's really better, Hawker or Tier. I've always wanted to know that. Was Tier just saying nice things about Hawker because he viewed it because like a big brother does to a little brother, or did he view him as the future? And I think after this weekend, even though Tier was just rabbiting and running in the B heat, I think the clear the, the, the fact is Hawker is better than Tier and is the future. And to me, I mean, come on, they're putting Tier in the B heat. He's clearly – that's like insulting to a 350 guy. I, I think that – I agree with John. He's more of a 5K guy. The 1500 is not really going to be his event, despite the fact that he can run a 350 mile. So, I don't know. Uh, to me, hey. Well, I, I guess with Tier running a 148, his speed's not there. The 1500 may not do the thing. Because be top-end 1500 guy, medalist, I don't know what – like, what's the slowest guy 800 PB to win an Olympic medal? That'd be kind of an interesting question to throw out there. And in that thread I talked about, Hawker overblown, somebody points out, like, look, this is – it's not like he – you know, 
invented the wheel, but like Matthew Centrowitz would be very happy with a 146. It means I'm in really good shape. My only question for Hawker is like, is he still ready in the middle of June? Like that's my only concern for him now. Like he's really good. I think he can make the Olympic team. My only question now is like, can he extend it? Oh, wow. It's not that far off now. Two and a half months. We're getting close to these Olympic trials. So uh, I have no question. If he's on his game right now, he makes the team. He would make the team, I think. So, yeah, I just think the one other thing Robert sort of suggested is I do think it would be helpful to have some experience running in a pack and navigating those because the trials is not going to be a race where I'd be very shocked if it's a race where the rest of the field just lets lets Cole Hawker dictate it. And I do think it's good that he got that experience racing the 800, having to come from behind. It would be probably helpful to have him get that experience a couple times in the regular season, maybe NCAAs as well, because indoors, all of his races were rabbited affairs or even NCAAs. He just ran them from the front. And to make Olympic teams, you know, I I guess his talent's good enough that maybe he can still make the team uh, without having that sort of experience. But I think, as we saw with Donovan Brazier in 2016, it does help to have that sort of experience running in a pack and navigating the rounds. So I think that's one thing doesn't mean he can't make the Olympic team without doing it, but it'd just be a nice thing for him to experience over the next couple of months. I do think tactics are overrated. I, I really do, though. I mean, I, I, you need to be comfortable running the pack. I don't think Webb ever was, but he had good tactical savvy to wait for the inside move, and his last 50 is so good. If he finds any opening, he's going to be able to close. I mean, when's the last time you think, oh, that person didn't make the Olympic team because of tactics? I can't think of it. Now, I can tell you when idiots like Asbel Kiprop, I mean, if you run completely stupid, I can tell you when they blew their medal chances T- because of tactics. Tactics are but not overrated. I- Matthew Centrowitz has a gold medal because he's like a tactical magician. Like, no, it can help you win the gold, but I'm saying – Name me an existence where we had an Olympic trials and you thought, oh, that person would have made the team if they had better. Julia Lucas. But it wasn't about running in the pack. It was about blowing away from the field. Tactics. I mean, that's still tactics. I'm sure there's... Yeah. I, I'm not some like historian, but like there's probably tons of races where someone gets blocked in a 1500 and they don't... Outdoors, you'd have more space, more time I mean, to 2019... Didn't you have a whole video about Ben Blankenship's terrible tactics at USA's in the 1500, Robert? Or Johnny? Gr- no, it's Johnny Gregoric, right? He, he had terrible tactics, and that's why he didn't make the team. That was you, right? <laughs> no, he had terrible tactics. I don't think he. I'm not necessarily. He would have made the team. Any, it, it killed his chances of, of making the team. Wow, John, this is like fake news exposed. I was I was doubting Jonathan's journalism chops earlier because. Jonathan said he texted something Robert and didn't understand that it might be used on the air. Whereas when I correspond like with Alan Abramson or something, he'll always be on the record, off the record, making clear like which is which. But John is back. John, nice one to pull from the hat right there. Robert, please try to defend yourself, but uh, you already tried once and failed. Robert's face right now is, is uh, it, that's worth enough to me. Just his, you know, his puzzlement and yeah, I think we can just move on from that. So what else should we talk about this meet? I mean, the women's 1500, battle of the BYUs. BYU went one through four. Courtney Waymont, who did not run NCAA indoors, right? Beat Anna Camp. No, she did run NCAA indoors. She didn't run cross. So Waymont beat Camp 416.1 out of 416.12. Any takeaways there from that one, John? 
Not really. I thought it was pretty pretty good run for Anna Camp. She almost beat Wayman, who I thought I was like, oh, Wayman will win this. She you know she was the anchor leg on the DMR that won. She won the three k pretty comfortably. Anna Camp was not even in the top ten NCAA cross, but she showed she had pretty decent speed, and you know Wayman really had to dig for that. But yeah, I already knew BYU was good at running, and that sort of that, those results confirmed it. I was interested. The men's five k I found pretty interesting because. Eduardo Herrera, he won the Pac-12 title. He had a disastrous day at NCAA Cross, was 107th. And he comes back and he wins that 5K in 1324. And then behind him, I mean, BYU, we already knew they were really good. But I just, you know, they all broke. They, he, they had three guys under 1330 indoors, so this isn't really a shock. But Connor Mance, 1324. Casey Klinger, 1324. Brandon Garnica, 1326. It's pretty ridiculous that a team... Granted, they had a bit of an off day at NCAA cross, but a team that has three guys who ran 13.26 or faster wasn't even close to the podium at NCAA cross. It just shows you how good some of these teams are in NCAA right now. I think it shows you how much they bombed at NCAA. Same thing with Herrera. How You're in 13.20 shape. He's not even the top 100. Anybody can have a bad day, especially these younger kids. You know, like a lot of the top guys... The amazing thing with the top pros is just how damn consistent they are. But NCAA cross country, the wheels fall off. It's one of those races that can be pretty hard to recover. Well, I think the BYU issue is these th- those three. I mean, Mance obviously ran amazing. Casey Klinger ran well, and Brandon Garnica he was right up there. And then the last hundred, I think he just overheated, and he you know he did end up not finishing. So he made it almost the way that. I mean, I don't know what happened to Herrera, but. Yeah, I would say I guess Herrera, and if you want to say Garnica's like body, you know, shutting down is him blowing up. I mean, I guess you can describe it that way, but to me, that's more of a, you know, partly the conditions and just partly that's how his body responded. And then we had the Iowa State one-two in the ten k. Uh, Wesley Kip two wins it. Edwin Cargart, the twenty nineteen NCAA cross champion. This is his first big race for since since then or since. Maybe 2020 indoors. I don't know. It's been a while since we've seen Kurgot. Uh And Robert wanted me to know, were these guys racing? I was studying the film and, you know, because they were only separated by 23 hundredths of a second, I think. I mean, I watched the hook final straight. It didn't, I didn't watch this race live. I'm sorry. It finished at around like 1240 AM. So sorry for not staying up on a Friday night to do that. But to me, it looked like they weren't going. They were going quick on the final hundred, but I don't. I'm not going to read too much into it. it. Didn't look like they were going all out. I don't think that, you know, Kip to winning this race by a tiny margin in April has a huge impact on like whether he's the favorite or not two months from now at NCAA's. Well, guys, you guys spent a lot of time talking about BYU. A few things I want to mention about them. First of all, you guys realize how, how old freshman Casey Klinger is. Well, he ran as a true freshman in 2017. It's now 2021. So he's probably well, he's listed as a freshman in the results somehow. Well, this is his fun because he remember, he went on a mission immediately after his freshman season of cross country. So this is his first season of track. I guess he's probably twenty one. He's twenty two years of age. So freshman year would have been eighteen, but he went on a Mormon mission. Eighteen, nineteen, and then twenty. He gets back because of COVID. So, anyways, but came out. I think yesterday that high school, the best, well, John, you can tell me if this is, if she is actually the best, but one of the very best high school runners, Jenna Hutchins, who's run 1534 for 5,000. 
I don't believe she's more of the Mormon faith, but she's the big first DJ Taylor, big recruit that's not Mormon that is committed to the university to BYU. She's only a junior in high school, so she's announcing it basically way early. But she says that she's going to BYU, and she's actually going to graduate from high school next December. And where does she live, John? She's going to move to Florida? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting story here. So Jenna Hutchins, if you remember, in the fall, she was the first high school girl to break 16 on a, cross, a 5K cross-country course, and then she backed that up by running 1534 on the track, which is the high school girl's national record. And yeah, she goes to high school in Tennessee. That's where she lives. Her plan is to graduate in 2021, and then in t- early 2022, we'll move to Florida. This is per die stat to be mentored and trained by Julie Stackhouse, a respected health, fitness, and wellness coach, along with a brand ambassador for Brooks. So she's going to... Apparently, Stackhouse already has some input into her training, it seems like. I don't know if she's coaching her or what the arrangement is, but it's kind of odd. Yeah, you would would think if you're graduating early, you'd just try and enroll in college immediately, but Hutchins is actually going to graduate early, move to Florida for a few months, and then that fall of 2022 will enroll at BYU and join the cross-country team? Well, to me, when, when I look at the story, the thing that sticks out is, one, BYU getting a non-Mormon recruit is big. And two, I, I think her, you know, she's got an outside coach from her, from her high school team. Julie Stackhouse, the, the, the wellness thing and the ambassador thing. I mean, Julie used to be a, a Division One coach. She coached at Air Force. She coached at University of Virginia. So she's a coach. I mean, she's doing some other things probably for, you know, adults. Some people, you know, some people need life coaching and fitness. And so she's more than just a track coach. Um, and she's got kind of an interesting background because she ran like the hurdles in high school and cross country. I mean, she was from a really small town, did it all, won a ton of state titles and stuff. But, um, you know, kind of I, I, to me, the fact that she's got two powerful women, you know, as her role models, as, as her guides, I think that's attractive to to her and probably a big factor in her decision. So that's what's interesting. You know, having an outside coach isn't that weird. I mean, Drew Hunter had, you know, uh, 10 men coaching him in high school. Lots of these guys have outside coaches. I do think it's a little bit weird to be moving to Florida since there's no altitude aspect of it. And I didn't like this thing of, because they won't be competing in high school. Like, I guess you won't be competing for your high school team, but, you know, I, I why can't you run the high school meets? I mean, she can still run the invitationals and stuff like that. So I hope that she does do that thing. And if I was coaching someone at that age, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe the high school coach wouldn't go with it. But I would just, I guess some of the high schools, they race all the time. But for her, a 1540 girl, she could run every high school meet and just run 17 minutes and be part of the team. Why would she? I mean, maybe that doesn't appeal to her. Maybe just blowing out everyone in every single race she runs isn't interesting. Yeah, perhaps. But then one thing I was thinking of is if you really want to get, you know, get start working on these minor things to get ready for college, which seems like the goal, why not just do what the football players do? I've never seen this happen with a track athlete, but you see a lot of football players graduate in December and then they go to the, they go to the university immediately. And then they, they, um, you know, do spring football and learn the plays and stuff like that. Could she go to BYU? I don't know if it's allowed. I mean, I, I don't think it would be an NCAA violation. I mean, BYU wouldn't allow it. Go, go to BYU in the spring and just be part of the team, get used to being around a bunch of Mormon people and getting used to that lifestyle might be good for her. But although it would be weird because you're the only freshman there. I, so, I don't know. I don't think it's a violation. I mean, A, BYU, they, I mean, they have athletes coming and going all the time for missions, but also like we see it in football and the athletes can enroll early. I'm sure you can do it in track and field. I mean, D- 
didn't Will Clay? I'm pretty sure when he was in high school, he graduated early and was competing for Florida, I think, or Oklahoma, whichever one he started at. I think it was Oklahoma is where he started. Like, by the spring of his senior, what would have been his senior year in high school. Oh, so actually, I think- you're right. I mean, Robert Griffin III, he graduated high school early and got, like, third NCAA. Yeah, like, if you if you graduate high if you've graduated high school, they'll let you into college. So I, I'm sure that I'm curious whether they explored that option, but that doesn't seem to be the one they're doing. Parent of a three-year-old who acts like I'm an expert on teenagers. I would want the thing that's the most normal. So I would not want to show up at college and be the only freshman. I'd rather get there when all the other freshmen are getting there so I can make friends and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, all right. I think, one more thing I want to hit before we get to Magic Johnson. No, I, I want to say one more thing oh, on this. Okay, okay. This thing is crazy. While you guys were talking, I started doing some research on Julie Stackhouse. We got to get her on the podcast. This is unbelievable. She won 16 North Carolina high school state championships in events ranging from the 100-meter hurdles, which she won four times at the state championship, she only won one 1,600-meter and one cross-country. She also won a 200, a 300 hurdles, a 400, and an 800 twice, and the high jump twice. Three times, excuse me. How many schools were in this? Was she in, like, 1A, like, quarter A? Like, I'd like to know what division it was, but, I mean, didn't Laura Raisler do the same kind? I thought Laura Raisler, I guess she might not have won hurdles. But, yes, that is pretty amazing to win state titles in cross-country and the 100-meter hurdles. <laughs> And the high jump. This is in North Carolina, yeah. too. I mean, like, wrestlers from, like, what, well, then North Dakota, look, look South Dakota, I mean, this is like, like This is, like, 30 years ago while in a small school. I mean, look at her PRs. Her mile PR is over five minutes. Still impressed. And also, I, Joan Hunter, I thought, coached Hutchins. So uh, she's got a, getting a lot of help from outside professional coaches, So, uh, which is, if you can get it, great. But I'm kind of surprised. Maybe now Stackhouse is t- I mean, I don't really know anything about it. It'd be interesting to learn more. But wish her well at the next level. All right, we did tease this briefly. I don't have too much to say about it, but there was an Australian record last week in the 1500 meters. Lyndon Hall, who has been having a great re- great season down under, she ran four, uh, 359 to break Jessica Hall's Australian record, and in so doing, this is a former Florida State athlete, Lyndon Hall. She is the first Australian ever under 50, uh, four flat for the 1,500 meters. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this, I mean, I've talked about her a lot in the week that was over the last couple of years. I just, I, I don't understand this, John. How in the hell? I mean, she was good enough to get a scholarship to Florida State from Australia. So she was a good runner. But her college PB was 415. How in the hell does an elite college runner take 16 seconds off her personal best in the mile? Actually, the 1500, which is even shorter than a mile. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, she was. She, I mean, she got down to 410. Like, she was eighth as a senior at NCAAs in 2015. And then immediately, her first race after graduating, she goes down to 412. And then by the end of that summer, she's 410. So if you say she's run 410 at age 24 and 20, you know, obviously she's made a lot of improvements since then but that that's a little misleading because she was a 410 woman almost immediately after graduating and 410 is quite rare for a college athlete but it is kind of crazy that yeah she's now sub sub four woman to make that much improvement that, that makes sense because i mean if you look at her you know so in high school it looks like she was running 423 
which is quite good. You know, it's 443 mile. Then she runs 422 freshman year, or yeah, and then 415 her sophomore year, and then basically she runs 416 and 415 the next year. So she was stuck in 415 for like three years, but not really stuck because she runs 410 right after NCAA season because you're more focused on that on time. So. That makes a little bit more sense then. Yeah, I think you look at but, some of the results she's running these meets. I mean, there are a lot of championship meets. Like, you know, she might get a qualifier early in the season, and then, you know, she's got conference regionals, nationals. So, all right. Is it time to get to the closet track fan, Magic Johnson, and his possible appearance at the Olympic trials? Should we talk about it? Not quite. The 415 reminded me of something. On last week's podcast, we predicted the U.S. Olympic men's and women's team. And John has compiled those picks in an article that I'm supposed to publish, but I haven't published yet. And the reason I haven't is I need a ruling. I'd like to tweak a few picks after re-listening to the podcast. And after one result came out, on the podcast last week, I made a big, bold prediction that I think Mo would not be making the Olympic team. I said she can't handle the rounds. She's more of a 400 runner three days. But did you guys see last week she ran the 1500? She ran 416. And the fact that she can run split 49 in the relays and go out and run a 4.16.50, her endurance is fine to me. Like, I don't know. When I think of 4.16, I think of that as like that's NCAA level 1,500 meters. Like she doesn't need to be the world's beater in the 1,500. She just needs to have good endurance. So I would like to correct my pick and put put her on the team. Can I do that or is that against the rules? That's a pretty firm no from me, Weldon. What do you think? I'm feeling generous, he's, but he's blood to me, John. I, you just forgive a lot when they're related to you. It's just like okay. we made up picks. I mean, the, the picks, the picks. You call, and, like just but, we've but now John, got new evidence. Like, come on. And also, he just butchered her name. He called her Ething Moo. Her name is Mo, even though it's spelled M-U. I mean, granted, it is one of the most unusual spellings, but I don't know if we should let him. If he gotten her name right, maybe we should have let him do it. But he, here's the thing, like. As more evidence comes in, like the whole point of making those picks then is that was what we what we knew at the time. Like when I make when I write our trials previews in June, I'm probably going to make different selections because we will have access to more results. So I think it's fair to say this was our pick as of this date, and I don't know. I I think we should just stick to what we said on the podcast. The picks on the podcast. He said the pick on the podcast. He can write a little thing underneath. I want a thing, Mo. On the team. I think that's how he should have to do it. A correction or an update to his podcast. One week later, he's evaluated the information. I agree with you, John, now. All right, let's turn to Hayward Fields. Uh oh. Very excited, folks. Breaking news, breaking news. While y'all were talking, I've received a text from the state of Maryland, the great state of Maryland, the state that represents America. We were a slave state that joined the Union, so we represent. The right call of history. I have gotten a COVID vaccine appointment, folks, for Saturday. I'm very excited, John. Well, I'm shocked you're so excited. I didn't, I didn't think you'd be this pumped, but Robert, I'm, I'm happy for you, and I'm excited that you're excited. Everyone that lives near me had already been vaccinated. We have two, four, six neighbors plus my wife is seven. Seven of the closest eight people, including me, if I'm the eighth person, had all been vaccinated. I had not been because I'm an honest person. I did not jump in line. So your wife jumped in line? What happened? <laughs> no, she volunteers for the Red Cross, and they're allowed to jump in line because they do nice things for other people. I guess, I don't know, this means Governor Larry Hogan is a podcast listener. Maybe he you know, jumped my thing to the line. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate it. I'm just glad to hear that you used the breaking news 
music appropriately this time instead of abusing it for some email from six months ago. Now, I don't want to get angry emails. It doesn't mean that I think that I want to force everyone to get vaccinated. If you're not comfortable with it, that's fine. I think you should do it. To each their own. All right. Now it's time to move on. I've been waiting to talk. Like, I've been a follower of Magic Johnson's Twitter account for years. Because if you follow this guy, I mean, NBA Hall of Famer, he's obviously an absolute legend. Probably the best point guard ever. But... His Twitter feed is just full of the most inane bullshit you will ever see. Like somewhat like some team will be losing the game and he's like, well, they need to score more points in the second half. They're going to come back. I mean, it's, it's crazy. So I've been dying for this guy to tweet about track or to relate it to track in any way. And finally, my wish has come true. So this happened on Tuesday afternoon. Magic Johnson tweets out from his account. I'm a big track and field fan, big in all caps. And I watch every year. Does anybody know if they will have qualifying races for the Olympics? If so, when? So part of me is like, oh, this is great. Magic's got, like, he's got a ton of followers. He's got a big platform. Like, this is awesome. He's a track fan. He's got four, 5 million Twitter followers. But then part of me, I read the tweet and I'm just like, look, the second part of his tweet totally contradicts the first. You cannot simultaneously be a big track fan and also not know if there's go. You've never heard of the Olympic trials and don't know anything about them. So I don't know. I got a real kick out of that. But then Max Siegel responds to this. Max Siegel, the CEO of USATF, whose Twitter feed mostly consists of just high school volleyball or football tweets about his kids. Like if you had to guess what sport he's the CEO of, I don't know if track would be in your top 10 based on his Twitter feed. He responds to this tweet and says, we would love to have you at our USATF Olympic trials as our guest, along with your colleague and our friend Dan, Dan Tauris, who I don't know who that is. And then I, I thought this was funny. Dan Lilo, who's an agent in the sport, he quotes Max Siegel's tweet because we've been waiting for weeks and months to find out, you know, are there going to be spectators at the trials? How does, how's that all going to work? And Dan just quotes Max Siegel's tweet and says, sweet, spectators will be allowed at the tri trials, apparently, because that's really all we've heard from USATF and that. So, I don't know. I got a real kick out of all of this stuff. <laughs> I don't know about you. Well, I didn't see this, but when I saw it in the show notes, John, I, you guys are falling for this? I assume that Magic is part of LA 2028, and this was like a setup to try to promote the trials and get track going. People start talking about the Olympics. You think this is legit? Like he actually didn't know instead of using Google, just decided to go to Twitter. That's what I do all the time, actually, in the message board. I don't bother with Google. I just go to the message board, and then people get really angry. Like, have you ever heard of Google? I'm like, no, that's the reason why the message board, I trust you guys better than Google. So you think this is you think this is legit and not like some inside job with the LA organizers? Well, I don't think. Do I think Magic Johnson is a big track fan? Absolutely not. I'd love to know how many track athletes he can name, but any track big. The whole point, like, if you're a big track fan, you know that the Olympic trials exist and when they are. Like any, but they might not exist in the COVID year, John. But you're not a big track. If you're a big track fan, you would know about that. You would know when the trials are. He's clearly not a big track. No. Well, it depends on what you. I guess it's your definition of big, but he 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 says, "What about NCAA championships? Will they be at Oregon New Stadium?" He seems to know about the new stadium. I mean, to me, that's pretty big. He knows that there's a new stadium in Oregon. I think this is an all an inside job. Somehow, it's all set up, but maybe not because I'm actually reading like his. You're right, John. His other tweets. I'm really 21 hours ago. I'm really looking forward to the NBA playoffs for the first time in a long time. I think the first round matchup will be exciting and competitive. <laughs> 
No, no, you left out the best part of that tweet because this is the kind of insights. I'm sorry to dunk all over Magic Johnson here because I obviously couldn't do that in real life and I think he's a fantastic player. Like, he's a good guy. But the second half of that tweet, I'm really looking forward to the NBA playoffs. So the first time in a long time, the first round matchups will be exciting and competitive. Like the NCAA tournament, I think some of the higher seeds will lose earlier than expected. That is like typical Magic Johnson insight right there. I don't think it's an act at all. I just I think he's like saying, "Hey, I'm a uh, I'm a track fan, you know, like but big is not the word he should use." I think it's great. I think it's great that Max Siegel, at least one fan will be at the Hayward Field for the Olympic trials, and we're getting close, guys. I think that's the bigger issue is how many fans and maybe more importantly, how much media will be at the Olympic trials. John, you can share I don't know if you're allowed to share what you been sharing with us but of course i can share it's in a public forum a concern this for you is bad news because a this reminds me that i still have not published the article to try to shame them into letting full spectators into the stadium and we had full spectators at the texas ranger baseball game last week to me as i said on this podcast when i vowed to write the article i haven't done it when canada canceled their olympic trials to spectators i'm like look by june everyone who wants to have been vaccinated in the united states of america will have been vaccinated at least by over the age of, I would think, 16, certainly over the age of 40, who's at really the major people at risk. If you don't want to take the risk and go to the meet, that's fine. But wh- why does Oregon even care? Like most of the people from out of the state anyways. So it, they're not going to be interacting with that many people in state anyway. It's just insane to me. And John, go ahead and read what you got because it doesn't look like we'll even be going to Eugene. Well, this is from the journalist Ken Stone, and he was responding to uh, – this was prompted by this at Magic Johnson thing because Aaron Strout told Magic when the trials were. Then Ken Stone said, here's USATF's response to my inquiry on when we'll learn about media credentials for the trials. Quote, we're hoping soon. Most likely everything will be virtual with very limited, if any, media in stadium. We'll keep you posted. End quote. And that, I mean, that bums me out because we've seen all these other sporting events, you know, pro sporting events have had journalists coming back to to the games and obviously socially distanced and masked and all that stuff. We had journalists at the Haywood premiere. I mean, granted, it wasn't full, but it's just, I don't know. I don't want to sound like some like crybaby. Oh, I don't get to like, I'm, I'm fine with all these other events being virtual, but now that the sport I care about and cover is going to go virtual, it's unfair. But I don't, I, that's maybe that's how people think I sound, but I also think it's kind of ridiculous. They have this massive stadium and th- like you said, Robert, the vaccine, pretty much everyone will have had the chance to get vaccinated. There is a way to do this socially distant if you're not doing fans. I just think it's a bummer if they're not going to be able to show this off, you know, this new stadium off to the media and to the selected fans over the summer when you would think most people would have had the vaccine at that point if they could choose to get it. Okay, a couple of things. Not doing fans, John. If they do no fans, then if I, I'm fine with them keeping out media or whatever. But you're thinking there will be no media? Like, Maybe they said, oh, a mix zone is too much. It's too close together or whatever. It's not even about science at this point. It's really what people are willing to tolerate. But are you think that they would say, no, media won't even be allowed to go. Like, we're not giving you seats. We're not going to let you go watch the meet. If that happens, well, look out. Because there's a lot of people who cover this sport. They do it because they love it. They cover We cover the sport four years all the time. And if they let some fans in and no media, the media won't like that. And everyone protects their own little fiefdom, but like you don't want to piss off all the media. It's not like a threat or anything, but it's just like 
I think the bigger question is like how much, how many spectators are they going to allow? I mean, as Robert said, we had 40,000 fans at a baseball game. Now, you may think that's very stupid, but it shows what are people willing to tolerate. And Oregon as a state has just not been tolerating much at all. And can they like flip a switch between now and June? It seems unlikely that they'll flip it that much. I think the question now is like what percent capacity they allow. But I just Googled around looking at Olympic trials fans and found something on swimming. Swimming, I'm pretty sure, is indoors, right? Yeah. They're having 50% capacity indoors at the Olympic swimming trials in Nebraska. So, like, for sure we should be able to do that outdoors, but I'm not sure it'll happen in Oregon. And then the money. We're going to lose 15,000 to 20,000 seats a day times eight days of competition. That's 200,000 seats at least. Or not, yeah. I mean, like, that, that's a lot of money. Who's going to put the, who, who picks up the bill, or does USATF just have to eat it? Well, that's the thing. Well, as an Oregon can make these rules, they're not losing any money on it. They don't give a shit. Anyways, I, I, I it, but if they let fans, and I understand why they don't want to have the mix zone because it's inside, it's kind of an, an under a tent, and you actually you are talking to someone for an extended period of time, pretty close contact. So, and that's the whole point for us going because otherwise they do the Zoom calls and you talk to the winner, which is kind of boring because everybody talks to the winner. So there's no real reason to even be on the call, it's just because everybody else is doing it. You could just use the Zoom call, the video. But I like to talk to the third placer or the fourth placer or particularly the prelims to try to get some inside info. And if we can't do interviews, what's the point? I mean, we can go out there for a free trip and sit at the finish line, but that just seems like a vanity project. I would actually like to talk to people, and I can see I can actually see some reason why they don't want me to talk. If you're actually thinking, well, we don't want any, an Olympian to get COVID, you know, I, I can see there's – yes, your odds are higher someone's talking to you even if it's outside, but I would think that most people – with it. Well, I, my other issue is I feel bad for the, all the fans who are living in uncertainty right now about people. This is the best track and field meet in the United States. And okay, we actually do have the world championships next year. So there is a chance if you miss out on the trials, you can go to that. But people have been building family vacations about this. People probably have Airbnbs at fairly exorbitant rates. It's kind of, it's hard to find an affordable, you know, hotel or Airbnb situation in Eugene right now. And they're trying to plan on whether they're going to be able to go to the trials. And part of this, I'm not bl- totally blaming USATF right now because maybe they're saying we want to delay and see whether Oregon relaxes their restrictions and then we can allow more people. But at some point, they got to make a call on this. I think it's just uncomfortable for a lot of people to be in this limbo right now. John, I'm not blaming USATF at all. Oregon as a state hasn't made a rule, right? Like, I don't know what the capacity restrictions are in Oregon, but they're almost like non-existent. So they can't say we're going to have a trials with fans when the state legally doesn't permit it. And it's hard because things are changing. I mean, here in or- here in Maryland, originally I wasn't going to be eligible for the vaccine to-, to April 25th. And then my neighbors said, no, they changed it yesterday. So they moved things up. But there's already people in Oregon that are upset. I mean, we're complaining about this. If they do allow fans or if they do – well, media, there's going to be a lot of University of Oregon parents that are outraged because the, the Oregon graduation is the week before and it's been canceled. It's totally virtual, which is absurd to me. Like, come on. These are young people. Let them get in the, in the GD stadium, put it in the football stadium. Everyone will be outside. All the grandparents will have certainly been vaccinated. I mean, at some level, we've got to be willing to accept risk. I've been very cautious about it. That's why I was angry that Weldon got the vaccine before me. But once I'm vaccinated, I'm willing to take some risk. And I don't know. Like the nanny state is just taking over. Well, to me, I think the whole point, once you get vaccinated, it's not even 
I don't know, science notes can affect me. But is, the whole point is like once you've been vaccinated, there pretty much is no risk to you anymore, right? You, you're pretty much good. Or am I misunderstanding it? I think your risk, your, your risk of death or serious illness is, yeah, you're pretty much good. All right. Well, I think it's, that's mostly it for this week. We don't, I don't know of any big events coming up. We were supposed to have the Mission Marathon in Hamburg, the return of Elliot Kipchoge, but that's been postponed till next weekend, April 18th. They have found a venue for that. It's going to be an airport. So Kipchoge in the Netherlands. So Kipchoge will now have raced on a Formula One track and an airport. We need to find some sort of like monorail station or maybe some harbor that he can run a marathon in at some point. But otherwise, I don't see any huge events on the calendar for this weekend. It's not true. The Robert Johnson vaccine, 215 Eastern at the Baltimore Convention Center. Not a good place for parking. Actually puts me in a bad part of town. And maybe I can sell some drugs down there. You're allowed to sell small amounts of drugs now. It's no longer being prosecuted. Maybe pay for my parking. Robert, all right. This is not a great idea telling people on a podcast just, you know, oh, I might be selling drugs. Like the FBI can come back and crack down on you, Robert. This is evidence. It's legal here, John. You're allowed to do it, I think. Well, that's that's season three of The Wire. That's the that's the Hamsterdam strategy. Wow. Anyway, oh, one thing I want to say, guys, we haven't I haven't said this for months, and if you're listening to the podcast right now, and if you're still listening, you're probably a loyal listener. You probably like what you're listening to. Rate and review our podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, SoundCloud, where however you listen. I don't know if anyone listens to this on SoundCloud, but just give us a five-star review. To spread the word, you know? We like the podcast. We love our listeners. And we want as many people as possible, you know, to listen to it. So how do you do that? You rate five stars and you review it. Uh, so please do that if you haven't already. One one correction, John. I stand corrected. Oregon has issued some guidelines. If you're in a low-risk county, you can have 50% capacity at outdoor sporting events, 25% if you're higher risk. So there should be fans at the trials. I guess maybe now they're hoping to, how high they can push it. So that does gives me some hope. It looks like there will be some fans at the trials. Maybe they're just they don't want to announce something and then realize later they can have more fans. I, I don't know, but I think at least encouraging people that they can go would, would be a good thing at this point. Now John's just going to be angry when we don't let him go because they're not going to let us interview anyone because we can't. There's no way the media members are six feet apart. That is going to be a bummer. Honestly, one of the best things about the trials is like talking to the fourth place finishers after that race and they didn't make the, like, that sounds a little cruel, but a lot of the times those are the most interesting interviews is maybe some guy or woman falls just short or, you know, they were a favorite and they didn't make the team. Like if Matthew Centuritz finishes fourth in the 1500, everyone's going to want to hear from him. And the way a lot of these meets have done, they'll just bring, they will bring the top three in or they'll bring the top, the winner in. And I'm just kind of worried, like some of those interviews, some of those stories are going to slip through the cracks. Even if we are there in person, it's kind of a bummer. And that's, you know, it's just sort of where we're at with COVID, but I am concerned that it'll be harder to talk to some of those stories that you might not always, you know, you might not the, the biggest story. Well, that's why if we're there, we can track them down. All right, everybody till next week. Get your T-shirts and get your new airwave.com. Let'srun.com podcast listeners can save 10% if they want to try out the Airwave device. Go to Airwave, that's A-I-R-W-A-A-V.com. Put in the code LR10 to save 10% off.